0: know what it is. It is the walking Board. And I am Coach T.P. And you know who I'm with. I'm with my sidekick, my right-hand man, Mr. J. Everett Pearson. And
1: as always, he's always down there in that luxurious museum of his with those pictures behind him. And it just looks like he got to have those stars sitting behind his head. One of these days, they're just going to fall off of that, that chair or something hit him across Ooh. his head and Ooh. make him understand what in the world is going
2: on. How are you doing today, Mr. Pearsall? Huh? Absolutely magnificent. Magnificent. Every time I see your smiling face, it makes me uh, smile as well and brings joy to my heart.
1: Well, we got another interesting day, as always, and you know... to. I would have wore my cardinal red again, but I couldn't. You know, I don't want people saying, is that the only shirt he has in his wardrobe? (laughs) And then you always come with these shirts. But I am representing because I do know that I've gotten several shirts uh, from off of the Stanford campus as well as around Stanford. So, you know, I'm representing because. You know, their 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 uh the name that they have on their jersey, of course, is Knight. So I'm representing with them today. But as always, you got one of those nice shirts on today, uh, Mr. Pearsall. So tell us about this shirt. I mean, that's a an alliance shirt. There. I mean, is it possible for someone to be able to get that shirt? Go
2: to our website at enders and Nancy. Follow by 4A's.com and have a shopping extravaganza. We have so much stuff on the website available to you today. You have polos. We have T-shirts. We have hoodies. We have sweatshirts. We have backpacks. We have golf balls. We have mugs. We have Yeti cups. Go to our website at NAAA.com and shop until your heart desires. No more.
1: Uh, So that means my size. Is on the website.
2: Well, you know, I I, I don't know your size, Mr. Tate, but I, certainly there there are various sizes I on mean the website. You. Absolutely, oh, okay. that's not abnormal. Okay. Medium is a normal size. Okay. I thought you was going to say it was extra medium.
1: No, no, just a, <laughs> just a, just, a, just a medium, not extra large. You know, or two of them, just a medium.
3: You know,
1: I'm, I'm okay. trying to stay within the realm. But, Mr. Pierce, uh, you know, I, I, I always like to start off with, you know, these things that go on in and around America. Uh, and before I start talking about the alliance again, I want to just talk about the Watkins Award. Now, I always do my disclaimer because I have to do this disclaimer. Cause people are going to start thinking something is wrong with Stanford. I mean, we keep bringing player after player for, that get into Stanford. Now, let's let's set the record straight behind me. If you weren't here last week, if you weren't here last week, uh, we was here with another Stanford guy. So j- just want to make sure that, you know, that uh, that every time, not every time, but most of the time. When, when we have our players now, I got a backdrop. And my backdrop is the Stanford Stadium. So I just want everyone to know, you know, behind me is the Stanford Stadium. So all of those people in the, in the stands now, someone, our engineer, he made another comment, but I'm, I'm not going to say that comment. It might get us kicked off the, the radio or something. <laughs> but at any rate, that is officially the Stanford Stadium. So, Mr. Pierce, I've only been in there several times, maybe, maybe eight times. But you've been in there probably about 25, 30 times. I, and that, yes. that, that may be just a, a, a low number, talking about 25, 30 times in the past eight years. I mean, I'm sure over a 30-year period. You have been uh, back and forth uh, in this stadium. So, you know, I want to do my disclaimer or our disclaimer. You know, the views and opinion of the Watkins Award are those of T-Tate and, of course, my sidekick, J. Everett Pearsall. He knows the deal. He takes just as much as I take when it's a lot going on. So we have to be careful. And the things that we say and the things that we do, because people come on to our show and people say, there's no way in the world that this guy is the ideal guy on, you know, on the uh, Watkins Award uh, honoree list. And we just keep bringing student athlete after student athlete after student athlete to the forefront. To talk about their experience. Now, you know, again, don't hold uh, don't hold radio station, uh, BBS radio, don't hold them uh, uh, accountable. Don't hold our, our sponsors, our advertisers, don't hold anyone accountable but us. Now, with that said, Mr. Pearson, let me you know kick it off a little bit uh, and just say that I found another uh, sponsor. And that sponsor is the Book of You. And the Book of You is a a historical look of U Street in Washington, D.C. Now, for the past, what, six years we've been doing the Watkins Award in D.C. now?
2: Ah, might be closer to eight, my friend. I think seven, seven years, seven years. Last year would have been number eight, seven years.
1: Okay, so seven years we've been doing. So there's a historical area in Washington, D.C. called U Street. And so this gentleman, uh, Mr. Moses, has written this story up to 1970. Although the current president and vice president are uh, also mentioned in the book, but what he has said is that he will personally, he will personally donate, he will donate 15 percent of every book sold back to the Watkins Award. So everyone. If you just want to get a historical perspective of a certain part of Washington, D.C., U Street can't be a better place. It's in walking distance of Howard University Hospital, Howard University's campus. And there's been just so much rich history written in this book. So you can get this book now. You can go by our website and we'll make sure that the link to this book uh, is on the website. But it's a great, I I, I mean, just an awesome tabletop book. The the quality of this book is unbelievable. So I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned uh, that. So Mr. Pearsall, here's, here's something that was brought out that in order to get into Stanford, first and foremost, as a, an athlete, as an athlete, you must qualify just like a regular student. Yeah, qualify like a regular student. You can't just, you know, people assume, well, he's a jock or she's a great golf player. So even Tiger Woods had to qualify academically to get in to Stanford. So, you know, you you and the the committee have done a masterful job identifying these scholar athletes. So when you are on that campus, when you are on that campus, tell us, what does it feel like to have Watkins Award honorees who are in the mix on that campus, Mr. Pearson?
2: Well, it's a tremendous campus to be on because you know that you know you're in the midst of a lot of young great minds and uh, when you look at the numbers that you're talking about in terms of my attendance uh, to games there you're probably in the 40 to 50 range because again starting with chris lewis uh, back in 99 i started going to games and so yeah, that's you know over 20 years of games sometimes more than one game a year and so Uh, The likelihood of it being, you know, in the 40 range is highly likely. Uh, Secondly, uh, when I walk around the campus, um, there's a great deal of of respect for what the Watkins Award is. Most of the people there know who, um, who, you know, about Franklin D. Watkins. They know who on campus uh, has been a part of the Watkins Award as well. You will be absolutely amazed. The sports program knows we've been working with those guys you know, uh, with several different coaching regimes and, um, but to answer your, your question specifically, um, our guys are just as smart, if not smarter than any of the other student athletes, because uh, our guys are students first, athletes second, and uh, they fit in very well. And they challenge the others who are on campus mentally, um, you know, you know, if not being one that uh, can be gazed upon as a great athlete on campus. Uh, they're engaged mentally um, more than they are physically at this campus. And so it's great to see Watkins guys after Watkins guy after Watkins guy uh, in every kind of setting on campus, whether it's social, whether it's in classroom, uh, whether it's just in discussion, uh, whether at dinner, uh, be able to kind of sit down and match you know, IQ. With people who are considered to be the brightest minds in America.
1: So when you are when when you are engaged in a conversation with the Watkins honorees, what's the feel that you're engaged in a conversation on by far the number two? Now I'm just be honest. I mean you they're the number two academic school in the world. So what is it like talking to a Watkins honoree?
2: Uh, it's very engaging. And I mean, again, you're narrowing, narrowing it down to Stanford. Uh, it's very engaging talking to any of our Watkins guys because you can have a on-par conversation intellectually and match mental wits with individuals at that young of an age. And you can have adult conversations with these guys because they're so far advanced. And I always tell them, uh, although uh, they're smarter than I am or was at that age, uh, hopefully they're not smarter than me now. (laughs) But some of them may be. (laughs) But I can have adult conversations with them. And, uh, you know, essentially sitting down with a kid at the age of 18, 19, 20, you know, 21 and being able to have an adult conversation. Um, certainly is enlightening to me in terms of the ability for the brain to really go far beyond anything that we um, can stretch it out to. And the brain is a muscle. You have to exercise it. And these guys are exercising that brain muscle.
1: So let me go back and do a reset. What, you know, the Watkins Award, what is the Watkins Award for those who are just joining us, those who have been listening for a couple of weeks. This is the thirty. This is the thirty-second uh, <laughs> show, man. The time show has passed, man. So, wh- what do you wh- what do you say to someone who's hearing this for the first time?
2: Well, essentially, I think you're asking me the question that you've asked me many times over, and and certainly, you know, we don't want to assume anything with regard to the individuals that are listening to our show, because we completely and fully understand that our, our outreach continues to go farther and farther uh, with regard to the number of emails that we're getting and, and people who are uh, commenting on the show, uh, good, bad, negative, whatever comment that they might have. That said, the Watkins Award is the premier or what we consider to be the top African, African-American scholar athlete in the country in the country as an African-American male going into their senior year. For example, now as we're getting getting toward the end of August, uh, my committee, uh, which is the selection committee, will be finalizing over the next couple of weeks the list of individuals which we will consider to be the nominees for this year's Watkins Award. And so those individuals will receive a package uh, telling them with in full instructions on how to compete for the Watkins Award. And it'll be up to them if they choose to compete for the Watkins Award. But again, um, with regard to the sports that we go after, there's the top 150 football players, the top 50 basketball players, and the top 50 baseball players in the country. They're all nominated, and then they go after it. They compete for the award. They prove amongst, they prove amongst themselves as great athletes who is the best scholar among them, who is the best man of character among them, who is the best community servant among them. And our package weeds that out, a package that was uh, developed by the great Dr. Alexander Gavin. Man, that's awesome. I mean,
1: just absolutely awesome. So here's something that I I just want to point out as well, that uh, we have people listening to our show from all over the world. I mean, I've I got a guy who hits me up from time to time on Facebook. Uh, he's in the Middle East. Uh, I've had a young lady who also is over in. he's in Dubai. Um, then there's a another gentleman that's in Asia. So we and, and a couple in Africa. So we're getting people from all over the world that are listening to this show and You know the myth. The 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 myth is, you know, the only reason these guys are on these campuses is because they are um, they are athletes. Uh, They never say they are student athletes, but they just say just because of them being athletes. And you know, you've heard some of the crazy stories that are out there, Uh, but. You know, and then the other thing is that these guys are square. I mean, it's they can't be just normal guys walking around like anyone else uh, on any campus. Uh, we had, you know, uh, Jamal Rashad, you know, here on our show, and and uh, Jamal, you know, he was just a normal kid out of Georgia. He went there. He didn't lose his identity. He continued to be who uh, Jamal Rashad Patterson has always been. Um, and so, you know, to hear some of the things that they have accused, not Watkins honorees, but young African-American males who are able to get into these high end academic schools and play sports at the highest level and still maintain their own identity is, man, it's just an awesome feeling, but then it's an awesome challenge for some, some people to believe that you still got, you know, these young men who are coming out of high school and able to get into these colleges like this. So, and I know you mentioned a lot of other colleges because I mean our kids go to all the major Power Five schools, uh, and they are all academic All Americans. But I guess today, uh, Marcus McCutcheon. I mean, we're talking about just like all of them, a young man who you know came through our program back in, and it's it's amazing how sometimes. You just forget and you date yourself. I can't believe I'm getting this old, man. I mean, Marcus came through here in 2002. And I keep thinking that he came through in 2012. I'm trying to give myself 10 extra years out of this thing, man. But he actually came through in 2002. Uh, lived, you know, and, and it's from... Huntington Beach, California, everybody knows who, who travels out there uh, in California. But, you know, that year in 2002, uh, you had four guys. And out of those four guys, I mean, can you, I mean, how in the world is the committee able to do this, man? I mean, you talking four guys you have one with a 3-6, and the other three have 4.0s. And, and, and these all incredible athletes that went to these schools and played football, basketball, and or baseball. Mr. Pearson, tell me something. I mean, how in the world are you able to find young african american males coming out of high school with these incredible academic credentials and these awesome athletic skills
0: how
2: do you do it well coach Tate at, at the end of the day uh, every year i am energized by the individuals uh, that we honor but i'll tell you we do it every year for 30 years we found guys year after year, after year. And there are a number of applications that uh, certainly for any other award, individuals may have been honored. Um, So although we like to say it's a needle in the haystack, it is not so far reaching to think that an African-American athlete can be a scholar as well. And what we're trying to do with the Watkins Award and the Alliance is try to show people that, you know, this is not as much of an anomaly as you think it might be. Uh, At the end of the day, when challenged, when focused, and when pointed in the right direction, our athletes, uh, be it almost every athlete, but especially those that are African-American and male, uh, are really some of the brightest individuals in the country. And it just needs to be cultivated. It needs to be something that is shown as an example so that other people can see it. So uh, when you ask me the question, you know, how do I find them? They're there every year. They're there and they're plentiful, they really are, Uh, and they compete for the Watkins Award. And I feel awful about the individuals that we do not have an opportunity to honor who uh, really tried to come after it because it does happen every year. Um, But you see the best of the best, and you only get an opportunity to meet and or get acknowledged or see information about the five that we down selected to, and and that's a tough job by our committee. Um, But again, Mr. Tate, they're out there. Coot State, they're out there. They're in your neighborhood. I guarantee you.
1: Well, we know they're in Georgia. There's no (laughs) doubt. But, you know, if you look at the media, the media is always showing the negative. I mean, you can't help but to understand that they sell more uh, newspapers or they get more views as a result of the negative but when you bring the positive and what this man Franklin D Watkins meant and how he you know felt that hey here's an opportunity to take a scholar athlete and use him to motivate the other kids in the community and show them that being smart really is being hip i mean a lot of kids Thought that being smart means that you're square, that you don't know much, you haven't been around the block, you you can't really function in a world outside of the books. You don't have common sense, but you know certainly we've seen these young men with all types of backgrounds, and certainly have the the focus uh, and the character. To be a lot of different things, not only when they come to college, but when they leave college, it's, you know, amazing at what they're be, they're able to pull off. So here's something that anybody can read themselves. I'm not making this up. You know, I, I just want to I, I just want to list this out, put this out here, you know, that we've we got somebody who. Practices law. Not only did they come in as a a walking honoree, eventually becoming a standard barrier, uh, but this, this guy focuses on complex matters including commercial litigations, antitrust disputes, cybersecurity matters. He has significant experience litigating complex business, consumer warranties, product technology, insurance coverage, construction defects, and em- employment matters in both federal and state courts. He's also, he also works with manufacturers and automotive industry and in regulating the relationship between manufacturers and their franchisee dealers, representing manufacturers and consumer warranty matters. Notably, notably, he advised clients on data breach response and subsequent investigation. he treats the client attorney relationship as a partnership using a practical and creative approach to achieve his client's goal. I mean this dude is a member of a team that represented an on demand prepared food delivery service and uh, the Federal Trade Commission investigation regarding the uh, unauthorized access of user data by a third party. I mean, you looking for an attorney? He's a member of a team representing multinational fitness equipment manufacturer in a product liability matter. I mean, this you talk about somebody that, I mean, clearly, this is a Watkins guy. That you know, he's part of a, another team defending large manufacturers in a wage and our employment class action, as well as in federal court litigation against its insurers, which initially refused to pay for manufacturers' defense in the underlining class action. I mean, man, come on! I mean, what is this do? And this dude was out at Stanford, he was a double major, you know, going into the only. Uh, The only problem I got is that I thought he was going to be a politician, not an attorney, but hey, it's never too late. But it seems like we got none other than the and the only Marcus McCutcheon up. Is he up with us now?
3: I am. I'm on. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the introduction. I appreciate it. It's good to be with you all today.
1: Uh, Marcus, all I can tell you, it is a plum pleasing pleasure to have you on our show today, man. I mean, every week, every week, it seems like the bar gets raised higher and higher. and higher. Like, you, you all are just super humans, man. I mean, you got an S on your chest. But, Marcus, let, let me ask you this question here, man, because... Be, before we get into your legal life, what in the world, as I always ask, was going on in the McCutcheon household when you was a kid, man? When you were in grade school, and let me start at middle school. I could start at elementary. Well, let's start at elementary school. What's going on? Did they put you in a corner, hypnotize you, you know, with a, with a silver dollar, said, you going to be a scholar athlete. you going to be a scholar. What was going on in
3: the house? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was always, it, it wasn't, although I, I, I probably at times felt like it was that strict when I was young, it wasn't quite that bad. But um, there was certainly always an emphasis on on academics. Um, you know, I, I have a, a long line of athletes in my family, and that was always encouraged, and it was part of, you know, my upbringing, bringing, but there was always a, uh, a very strong emphasis on academics as well. Um, And, you know, the, the rule in my household was, if your grades aren't right, there won't be any athletics, you're not playing on the team. So, um, you know, that was always, that was always emphasized. It was always a huge part of the message, uh, you know, from both of my parents growing up.
1: So let's get it out there. Let, let's go ahead and get it out in the street so everyone knows this is the son of Lawrence McCutcheon. So you know, for those so-called old timers like me, which I I still think I'm young, but you keep dating me because I keep saying, as I told to uh, Everett earlier, I say, man, I want to put you in the class of 2010, not the class of 2002. I mean, time has like shot like a rocket man but being the son of a ex NFL uh guy did you feel any stress in playing sports
3: you know i i didn't really view it as stress um you know because i think there always was such an emphasis on on academics um you know it, it wasn't a situation where where my parents were pressuring me into playing sports, you know, that was always, it was always just my choice and I, I loved it. And that's why I chose to pursue it. Um, but no, there was never, there was never pressure on me. Um, you know, I certainly got the questions along the way, especially once I got into high school about, um, you know, sort of following in my dad's footsteps. And, and by the time I got to high school, my brother was, uh, you know, my brother was playing at USC at the time. Um, And then he got drafted when I was, uh, I think, either either a sophomore or junior in high school. I can't remember now. But um, so, you know, there were always the comparisons, but I didn't really see it as pressure. To me, it was more of just, you know, it it made me proud to be part of that sort of that sort of story and that sort of uh, bloodline.
1: Well, you know, it, it excites me that you would use mere mortal phrases like I can't remember now. Man, you seem like you had like a photo stack memory. One, you're coming out <laughs> of high school with a 4.0. So, tell me, you in high school did you envision being the type of athlete that you were in high school, and also that you was going to be playing in this stadium that's behind me?
3: You know, I I did. I think if I'm if I'm being honest, in my own mind. Um, you know, I probably envisioned doing more than I actually did. You know, I, I grew up with dreams of of playing in the NFL, like a lot of a lot of young kids do, and um, you know, ultimately was blessed to be able to play well enough in high school that I was able to, you know, to pay for my undergrad education that way, um, and loved my time at Stanford. Um, but you know, I think my I think my experiences is a testament to why my parents, um, you know, why my parents emphasized academics like they did when I was growing up. Um, you know, I, I had a, a decent career at Stanford. I certainly was never, a, you know, a star or a, a standout player at Stanford, but, um, you know, went into my senior year with with really high hopes and, uh, you know, and got injured pretty pretty severely my first game of my senior year. And so, uh, you know, sort of had to make some decisions at that point, really what I was going to do. And, you know, had I not put myself in the position academically where I could, uh, you know, pursue a higher education after undergrad and, you know, and successfully pursue a career in law or business or whatever the case may be, you know, I may be in a very different position. So. Um, you know, certainly glad for those lessons that my parents taught me early on. So
1: you you mentioned your brother earlier, which, you know, clearly here you are, the younger brother of someone who's in the league. So your dad didn't in the league. Now your brother is in the league and he had a long career in the league as well. But you at Stanford, what makes a student athlete, go to Stanford and get a double major. I mean, man, you go, that's the fire department, but you really got a fire lit I need for you. What, what possessed you to get to that campus and say, you know what, I'm going to get me, I'm going to have me two majors while I'm here.
3: Well, I think it's, um, you know, it's a couple of things. I think one is just being appreciative of the opportunity to be there in the first place and wanting to make the best of it, wanting to make the most of it while I was there um you know i redshirted my freshman year so i i was there for five years and um you know i sort of saw coming out of there with um you know with just one major as sort of a a waste of that fifth year i saw that i had the capability to uh you know to add a second major that fifth year and and so i did it
1: well you know i'm I'm going to turn you over to Pearsall, but I will say to you that as I've always been honored myself to talk to guys like you, I mean, for you to leave Stanford, knowing early in your career, as you mentioned about the injury, that you're going to go to law school and you go to law school and you're working for one of the most powerful law firms in the country. I I I used to go by the office in Washington, D.C. all the time because I had a good friend that worked with them as well. But for you to be able to get into that office, I mean, that speaks volumes about your focus. And all I can tell you, congratulations. Thank you for keeping the focus and keeping the fire under uh, under these other younger guys. Who are coming through the Watkins War because they look up to guys like you and say, oh my goodness, I have no other choice but to be successful. Thanks again.
3: No, I appreciate it. Thank you again for the introduction.
2: Marcus McCutcheon, a.k.a. Cut, a.k.a. Eminem, a.k.a. Mr. Marcus, a.k.a. Mr. Tank Tops and Flip Flops a.k.a. Mr. Southern California, a.k.a. Mr. Discipline, a.k.a. Mr. Huntington beats. a.k.a. Mr. Defensive Back and Receiver, a.k.a. the hardest hitting receiver I have ever seen. We just call you Esquire. Welcome to the
3: show. (laughs) What's going on, man? Thank you again. See, now I don't know whose introduction was better. They were both pretty good.
2: (laughs) Hey, my man, you know I'm happy. I get bubbly every time I have an opportunity to communicate with you. I remember back in 2002, 2001, coming out to California and everyone talking about uh, your ability to play and knowing your, your scholastic aptitude because obviously I don't go to a lot of high school football games. It is really those select individuals that are so highly touted and talked about by others that make me want to take an opportunity to say, I I saw you play in high school and you were one of those individuals. And so I came to the game and, and I sat next to your dad and, and mom and, and and your dad was as stoic as he's ever been just kind of sitting there like who is this guy coming to see my son (laughs) you know he's not a college guy and honestly I didn't know as much about your dad as I should have the legend that he is and so I watched the game but I'm out there watching you on the defense ah you you know you're smacking them down you're knocking them out interception you know pass breakups and I'm looking at you like he has a 4.0 grade point average are you kidding me so we You know, we know football's in the jeans, but I'm looking at what you've done in the classroom and looking at all the things that you represented off the field by the people who told me all about you. How on earth with the pedigree that you grew up with and all the distractions, were you able to manage being one of the top athletes in the country and yet have a 4.0 coming out of Southern California? How did you do it?
3: Well, like I said a little bit earlier, I didn't have much of a choice. Um, <laughs> you know, coming from, you know, I know, you know, you probably you didn't know my parents at the time when you first came out in in two thousand one, two thousand two. You've gotten a chance to know them a little better over the years, and um, it just it just was never a it just was never an option. You know, my, um, you know, my parents knew from from a young age that I was that I was bright and was gifted academically, and they weren't going to let me waste that talent. Um, And so they pushed me hard in the classroom. Um, You know, they knew my coaches were pushing me hard on the field and they, they viewed it as their job to push me just as hard in the classroom. So, um, you know, it was either you, you do your work and you get your grades or you're not hanging out with your friends on the weekends. You're not playing football. You're not playing baseball. You're not running track. You're not doing anything. So um, that was just sort of the, the price of admission, you know, that was the, that was a prerequisite for basically me doing anything else.
2: You are absolutely right. Over the years, I've come to spend quality time with your wonderful mother, Mina and and your dad Lawrence. And obviously since that very introductory moment, you know, after that, you know, your dad really opened his heart to what the Watkins war was all about. I think at that time he didn't really know, but then over time got to know it. We've golfed together had an opportunity to spend time together in many different settings. In fact, I, you know, a year or two ago, I bumped into them in Las Vegas, just kind of spending quality time. That said, uh, coming to your home and, and, and knowing the environment with which you grew up down in the Huntington Beach area, um, everyone who listens has a different background. Everyone who listens to this show has a different journey. Everyone that listens to this show you know, has their own cross to bear. Looking at your environment, which is more of a suburban environment, one of the things that I want you to be able to articulate to the listening audience that we have today is what are some of the obstacles, if you could think of one or two, that you had to overcome in your environment? And just think of one or two things where you had to make a decision where, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm ahead in this direction, or this could have really tripped me up and really i i went another direction made a different decision and i was able to you know get all the things that i have today because i made that right decision what are some of those obstacles that you think you faced that could have really knocked you down
3: yeah you know i i think um i think there's some of the the common obstacles that any young kid has to or not even young kid you know just thinking about high school just as a young man um you know i think one of the things that you know, people who, who grow up in a more urban environment are not really familiar with, you know, sort of the suburbs and, um, and things like that is, you know, they don't really think about the, the amount of drugs that can be in that environment. Um, you have a lot of young, uh, young men and women that come from families that, uh, that have means, you know, you have, so you end up with a lot of kids that have a lot of disposable money. Um And a lot of those kids don 't choose to spend it the right way um so there 's a you know there 's a, a lot of drugs in that environment at times uh if you choose to hang out with the crowd that 's participating in that so that was certainly one of the things that um you know that was tough because I had some people who i at the friend at the time considered friends that uh you know that elected to sort of be involved in that in that world and so you know, had to make the decision not to spend time with those people And that, you know, looking back as a, as an adult, it sounds easy to say that, but at the time it's hard, right? It's hard as a, as a high school kid to say, no, I can't hang out with you because of the decisions you're making. Um, you know, everybody wants to be everybody's friend and wants to be popular and and things like that. So, you know, that's a hard, that's a tough decision to make at that, at that age. Um, you know, that was one of them. Um, the others just, you know, trying to avoid, uh, you know, just late, (laughs) just laziness, you know, it's, um, you know, when you're, so in high school, I played, um, you know, my freshman year, I played football in the fall. I played basketball in the winter, and then I ran track and played baseball in the spring. And, um, you know, it was just a lot. It was a whole it was a, a whole lot, a whole lot of time, a whole lot of energy. And, you know, there were times where I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go to practice. I didn't want to do you know, lift weights or condition or whatever it was that was ahead of me at the time. And um so, you know, just to have the discipline to push through that was again one of those things where you look back at it as as an adult and it's it doesn't seem difficult, but at the time it is. And, you know, to just sort of push through those things, um, know that you've made a commitment and it's important to you to honor that commitment um, and push through it is is important. And it's, you know something that you learn at a young age that continues to be important as you get older.
2: Well stated, well stated, because, again, the people who are listening come from different backgrounds. What you share and your experiences certainly can have a positive effect on the things that they will be forced to fit to face as they continue to move forward. Now, you know, I love you for your humbleness. I love you for the way that you talked about, you know, your career at Stanford and, and the the ups and downs and the things that you had to go through. I'm damn bitter about it. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm damn bitter about it because I knew you were the one (laughs) defensive, best defensive backs in the freaking country. And you get switched over to another position, and then as soon as you get switched over to another position and perfected, the coaches change, and all the circumstances around you, you won't make an excuse for it, but I'm damn better about it. But when I look at that situation, and then I watch the way you pivoted, you looked at an injury with someone, and I've seen people go into it, a state of depression, and then really not, not know how to handle it, and not how to handle it well. You go on and go to law school at Florida State. And then come out to work for one of the best law firms in the world. Tell me how, from a transitional perspective, you had to recondition your mind to say, okay, I'm going to now refocus and go in this direction and be just as successful, if not more, in the professional realm as an attorney.
3: Sure. So, uh, like I said a little bit earlier, I, I got hurt. I tore my MCL in our opening game of my senior year at, uh, we were at university of Oregon. And so, you know, after a a week or so of consulting with the doctors, um, you know, I I really just realized I had a, I had a decision to make, um, since I got hurt so early in the season, I knew that I had might have the chance to petition for another medical redshirt year um, and come back and try to play uh, play the following year. That would have you know made my time at Stanford six years, um, and I just really had to sit down and and do some soul searching and really think think about whether that's what I wanted to do and whether that was you know really what my future was going to look like. Um, and I had to have you know some difficult, honest conversations with myself about that. Um, you know, based on my, my time at Stanford up until then, um, you know, I, I knew the chances of me having a, you know, a long successful career as a football player were not, it, it was not likely, there was not a high likelihood that that was going to happen. Um, and that was sort of tough to come to terms with, cause that had been my dream growing up. I think that's a lot of people's dreams when they play in college, And so, you know, I had to really sit down and be honest with myself that that likely wasn't my future. And so, um, you know, once I came to terms with that, I had to decide, all right, well, if you're not going to play football, you know, this is exactly why you've gone, this is why you went to Stanford, right? Because career in football is not promised. So, you know, you're now at one of the best educational institutions in the world. So make the best of it. And so I did. Um, like I said, I, I picked up an additional major that that senior year um and just really started preparing myself for what was going to be next. Um and I was I was sort of debating between going to law school or business school. I knew I was gonna get some sort of postgraduate degree. Um, ultimately ended up choosing law school and so started preparing to take the the LSAT, which is the law school entry exam. Um did that, and then, uh, like you said, ended up across the country in in uh in tallahassee um but that's really you know that's really what it took for me was the the starting step was having that conversation with myself and really coming to terms with the fact that football was not going to be my future I'm gonna tell you
2: that's spoken as a true Watkins man your ability to take advantage of all the things that you've done to prepare yourself, the foundation that your parents helped you to develop, and the emphasis on education to be able to take what was a negative and now turn it into a positive. Spoken like a true Watkins man and one who is prepared and continues to to kind of raise through the things that you're doing successfully and overachieve. When you think about the journey that you've had and and obviously you uh, and, and folks that we, we, we had C. Lou on last week and, and past um, times we had uh, uh, J.R. Lemon and a lot of your past teammates on the show, and, and they had an opportunity to share a lot about their experience um, as they went through. You actually got to play with a lot of Watkins guys. Tell me through your journey what the Watkins Award has meant to you from the time you were introduced to it up until now.
3: Sure. Um, you know, when I, uh, when I first learned about it, um, I didn't, I hadn't, you know, I, I forget what year it was, but I was, you know, early in my high school career when I first heard about it, I had not, didn't really know the background of it. And, um, you know, the thing that sort of piqued my interest again was the fact that it, it, it wasn't just a, an athletic award. Um, it was, you know the, the strong emphasis on academics that was a, a huge aspect of it uh, and that set it apart from a bunch of the other awards that I was being considered for or given at the time and so uh, that was one of the things that really struck me about it The other thing that really struck me about it was the fact that you you had to apply for it it wasn't just something that you know you guys the alliance just chooses somebody and gives it to them um, you know you have to you have to really take the initiative to prepare an application write an essay um and that kind of thing and that really that really struck me as well that this is something um you know this is something that's earned this is not just you know a pat on the back good job here you go um and then i saw some of the names of the other kids across the country that were being uh, being considered at the time and it was Um, you know, just when you're in high school, you sort of follow other players around the country and stuff like that. And, you know, I saw that these guys were, these were big name guys, um, in high school at the time. And so, um, those are the things that really struck me about it at the beginning. And, you know, I think what's, what I've really valued about it since then is, uh, is the camaraderie of, of the alumni. Um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned a lot of names of, of guys that were, were part that are part of the Watkins family that I played with and still keep in touch with. And, um, you know, that's to me, the biggest part of it. Um, you know, I won a lot of awards in high school and and the Watkins award is certainly one that stands out. Um, my wife and I actually just moved, we just bought a new house in the last couple months and um, I still have a lot of unpacking to do, but one of the things that has been unpacked and is front and center um, on a shelf in my office is my Watkins Award.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Briefly, and and I know that this is probably one of the tougher questions that I'll ask, you'll be have to answer for me. But just take one or two minutes and tell our listening audience a little bit about real briefly about some of the things that you're doing in the community now and in the past number of years and then a little bit about what you do as an attorney right now. Again just a couple of minutes at a high level. I know you don't like to talk about yourself, but please just give a just a highlight of some of the things that you've done in the community. And then you know as an attorney, you know what you do, what you represent now, what your firm does. If you could give me a couple of minutes of that, that'd be awesome.
3: Yeah, sure. Um you know what I Sort of starting with what I do as an attorney, um, you know, sort of, I know Tyrone sort of read off a lot of the types of work that I do, um, which are, you know, they're important work, they're fun. But, um, you know, one of the things that's um, that's really I've valued during my time as an attorney at, at Baker has been um, the opportunity to do pro bono work um, and really have... Really have an impact on the community in that respect. Um, I've worked with a, a couple organizations in Orange County that um, provide free or um, you know reduced prices for legal assistance to combat veterans. Um, I've worked with um, some other organizations. Um, one of them being the the Public Law Center in Orange County, which um, a similar organization provides. Uh, free and reduced cost legal assistance to not just veterans, but um, all kinds of members of the community.
2: All right. Well, I lost track of time, and I apologize. You know, I can ask <laughs> you questions all day, and we can talk all day. But so I tell you what, man, you' great. So very proud of you, everything that you've done. The great
0: Marcus McCutcheon, Coach take take us out. Hey, man, look here. I was mesmerized by. Marcus, man, and Marcus, I just want to thank you again for coming on, being our guest, man, you were here, and we appreciate it, thanks again, have an awesome, awesome day, but tell your family, tell them also that we send our regards, our blessings, and certainly we love everybody in the family, and congratulations to being married, I told you, time passes, man, I can't even imagine you being married <laughs> now, but thanks again, and hey, Everyone, you've had it again right here at the Wack is the World with t and J. Everett Pierce. We've had our special guest, Marcus McCutcheon, and we're out of here. See you Another in a couple weeks. weeks,
2: Marcus. See you in a couple weeks. Thank you. I
3: appreciate it.
2: See you next Monday.
0: All you gotta do is put your mind to it